Bruchim Ba'im, and welcome to the clergy next door. I'm Rabbi Evan Ravsky of Synagogue Emmanuel in Charleston, South Carolina. Pastor Eric Childers from St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Hello, Rabbi. Hello, Pastor. Good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's um, Today is a chilly day in Charleston, and I love chilly weather. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I like it much better than the heat and humidity of August. Certainly better than than that, you know. I I whenever we say it's a chilly day here, I I was laughing from from New Haven, you know. Even the the low sixties feels like spring and and you know, chilly. But uh, but yeah, I have a jacket too, you know. It's uh, yeah. it's how it goes. That's right. That's right. So uh, so today, as we had as we had said, uh, to we we look at sort of what does it take to become a rabbi and a pastor over the last two weeks, and it was wonderful to have our our special guests, uh, Rabbi Ileana Brodsky that first week, and the Reverend Seminarian uh, <laughs> Daniel Crops last week. Um, this week it's it's just the two of us. And instead of looking at what it takes to be a rabbi or a pastor, we're sort of looking at what our days look like, giving our our congregants perhaps a, a little bit of of insight into uh, into the things we do, the various things that we do. Um, although I think we're going to end up learning that nothing, no two days look the same for for either one of us. You're right. Uh, is there really a typical day? I don't know. I you know I. Um, as we were saying before, I, I am so rigidly scheduled. I have so much on my calendar that when something unexpected comes up, as it's going to, um, it, it really does upend other things. And, um, and some would say, well, just don't schedule it so rigidly. But I really can't afford to do that because there's so many things to accomplish in a week. So much of what we do, I think, is on cycles. It's a it's a weekly cycle of things that have to happen in addition to those things that are ongoing. Good example is today. What, what, what just happened today? For us. Exactly. We, we had scheduled this, you know, we, we schedule our, our recording times a, a week or so uh, ahead and about five minutes before we were supposed to uh, start today's conversation and recording today, uh, I received a text message myself about the death of, uh, of a sibling of a, of a congregant, um, which sort of, you know, put everything else on hold um, and, uh, you know, caused us to to be late and to back up and, and you know, adjust the, the rest of our day so that I could deal with with that, you know, emergency life cycle or not an emergency, but that that pressing life cycle need uh, in the moment. And, uh, you know, it's not the only thing, only time that that happens. As it is, I actually had some flexibility in my schedule today. Um, and we're recording at a time when normally I'm teaching over at the Hebrew Day School, but because of something going on in their uh, calendar at, at their school, I didn't have to teach today. So I happened to have this time slot free to record, which was the plan last week. And then that got bumped by the fact that uh, that we had this this death. Um, so, you know, it can be it can, I, I think if anything, I want our congregants to to walk away with is, you know, both of us have our schedules and our calendars and our plans of today I'm going to accomplish, you know, A through F on my on my to-do list. And then all of a sudden you're working on, you know, two, right? Now it's it's alpha the alphabet, right? You're working on number two instead of, you know, A through F because of 
the things that that come up in our day. Yes, yes. Um, and in addition to the scheduled events that we have, which I think we can talk about in a second, the other part that's difficult is the emotional, um, uh, I guess, I don't want to say baggage because that makes it sound like it's it's a it's a burden, but it but burden might be better actually. The emotional burden, honestly, to to, to do this work because, in addition to that, we do literally have to to deal with life and death issues, and um, we we deal with with uh, parishioners with congregants who um, some are are sources of joy and light, and others, quite frankly, it's hard to to like we love them because we're called to love but we don't necessarily have to like them but they're people you have to sort of be with and uh, minister to so um it's that emotion it's the emotion the stress of trying to meet deadlines and to um and as we've talked about in some of the weeks before uh, the organization this the the church's organization you're the ceo i'm the ceo of our group and and, you know, these aren't the greatest days for houses of worship. They're not, people aren't banging our doors down to come in. So we're thinking of, um, you know, how, how do we prepare today so we'll be here tomorrow? So there's those stressful issues as well. And not everyone always agrees on what do we do today to prepare for tomorrow, right? There, there's always that conflict in there as well, because, you know, you and I, although we each have our, our, you know, boards or our councils or, you know, whatever leadership structure that, that we have, um, you know, I like to say that I've got about 360 households that are my bosses, right? Everyone wants a little bit something different. You know, I think it's one of the things that you have to be resigned to when you take this job is that, you know, if you can please 80% of the congregation at a single time, you're doing a great job, right? But you're never going to please a hundred percent of the people, a hundred percent of the time. Uh, if you're doing that, you're not being true to to yourself or to to the tenets of of what you believe or planning well for the future. Occasionally, someone's gonna, or not occasionally, always someone is gonna be upset. Hopefully, it's always different people who are upset at different times and not just the same people. Um, but you were talking, Pastor, sorry about the uh, about the emotional baggage. So, you know, the thing that always comes to my mind, which um, my wife is often surprised by, because it's happened to me a few times, but where I will have to have like a funeral in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I'm going to a, a bris for a, uh, for, a, uh, for a baby boy, or in one case, I did a funeral and a wedding in the same day, and just like the emotional switch that you have to do, right, whether you're doing the whichever one you're doing first or, or second it doesn't make a difference but you go from being with with families in their in their grief to families in their immense joy and yes. um and you have to reflect both of those things and you maybe have the 20 minutes it takes you to drive from the cemetery to the wedding venue to uh to switch your own mood or switch yeah. your own emotional frame and you have to do that you have to function at a hundred percent at both of those you have to go from a hundred percent being in the moment at the funeral to a hundred percent being you know with with the family at the at the wedding or being with that uh teenager who comes in with a, a problem that's incredibly important and needs your full attention right then 
and then uh, a complaint that comes in about something else. It's so you have to not just switch gears so quickly, but you have to function at a hundred percent and not, um, and do it with a smile. That's the other thing. That's, that's sometimes the hard part too. Absolutely. And, and, you know, so, so what you were saying about, about like uh, different things that, that come in. So, you know, where I always like to start my day is, you know, if I, if I can, I'll make it to, to the morning services that we care about have at Emmanuel, but I like to start my day, um, you know, going back through, through emails and sort of trying to take care of as many emails as I can in, in the morning. Um, one, because I can do it either from home or from the office, but I can sort of navigate if I, if I have to do it in one place or, or the other, it doesn't make a difference, but it lets me sort of get a jump on the day of setting up if I need to um, change any meetings because of these last minute things that came up. At least I can accomplish emails uh, first thing in, in the morning. One thing that I'm always thinking of, though, when I, when I am doing emails like this or when someone emails me with a with a question about Jewish law or something going on in their life that you know, they, they need an answer for, I always wonder how my predecessors of previous generations did this, this work, right? Because if a congregant now has a question, they can email me and I know about their question or their issue right away. Um, and I can answer them right away, right? If they, uh, if they accidentally, you know, pour milk into a meat pot, um, Right, I can I can figure out how do you make that pot kosher again today, tomorrow. Right, it, it, it's immediate. Whereas, like, you know, rabbis, you know, three four generations ago, right, it was all handwritten. There was no such thing as email. Right, I mean, maybe a phone call, but but you know, it was all sort of done by by like that snail mail of that very slow process of you know that pot was out of commission for two weeks and. Uh, Maybe it was a little less stressful for the for the rabbis and the pastors back then because not everything felt as as pressing because you know in the meeting we've been recording you know only for for uh, a little bit and I've already gotten five emails in the time that that we've <laughs> been sitting here um, you know my 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 watch and my phone keep buzzing right because I've gotten five emails in the time that we've been sitting here and already I know that we had to delay this and already I'm behind on on my next thing. I, you know what you said earlier about um, making 80% happy, satisfying 80%. One of the things that I learned, and this was a real learning experience for me because I uh, was growing up, I was a people pleaser. Right? It was so important for me to do that. Um, I had to drop that really quickly, especially when I, it, before when I was in at other congregations, but particularly at St. Matthew's, um, I genuinely cannot worry whether people like me or not what i have to do is as as a leader is think about what i'm what my task and what my call is it's to preach the gospel it is to administer the sacraments it is to teach via the Lutheran confessions that i have i've learned and i've been prepared for and um these other things that come about with the worship and Worship preparation, education, with our caring for one another, for um, our going out into the world to serve, those fall in after that. And I have to treat everybody the same. And that's been really difficult at St. Matthew's before because so often people, I do make 
decisions that people don't like. Um, one of the, there's a, a quote that hangs above my desk uh, in my office and it's, um, it's an old leadership quote and it goes, um, leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. And I think that's what it is. I mean, I, I can't there. I know I have so much capital that I can spend and, um, that might mean giving a uh, preaching a sermon that's really difficult one week that people may not like making them sort of um, provoking them, poking them a bit and then lay off a bit you know, so that you can let that regain some capital with other, but I can't worry about making people happy. I have to do my job. And if I've done it right, then they, not every, people may not necessarily like me, but that's not really our job. I think it's, it is to lead us um, out, lead our community in a, in a really difficult world these days. And in a, in a really difficult world and a world that changes really fast as yeah. well. Right. Is that the, the things we've had to navigate, uh, you know, alone in the last, in the last few years, uh, you know, maybe it's just because it isn't it you know, things always change in, in every generation. But, you know, between, you know, coming from the, the pandemic and in, in the Jewish world right now, there was already a rise in anti-Semitism in America that we were fighting before the events of October 7th, which have only exacerbated the amount of anti-Semitic rhetoric, anti-Israel rhetoric that, that's going on in this country and how it's been been highlighted. And now it's not even the country, now it's the world. Um, you know, it Again, it, it feels like because we have those 24-hour news cycles and the email and the instant communication that um, the, the weight of it becomes much, much heavier um, and the, the ease of access, right? I'm, I'm confident that I'm much, uh, that, that you and I are much more accessible to our congregants than the predecessors of two or three generations ago. Right, whether it's just calling up the church or the or the synagogue and saying, you know, can I speak to the pastor or the rabbi, or being able to, you know, anyone be able to drive up and and just you know come in and say, I, I, you know, do you have a moment? Um, we often joke in my house that um, my day ends, particularly today, like my day uh, will, will end with our evening services, um, which are short, maybe you know, 20, 25 minutes of of prayer. Um, and, uh, you know, I can tell my wife I'll be home at uh, at six o'clock until someone comes up and says, Rabbi, do you have a minute? Right. And and I can I can send that to, to my to my wife. And she knows that that means that, you know, I'll be home somewhere within the next hour because yes. it's never Rabbi, do you have a minute? Right. It's always a, a longer conversation where you need to sit down and and discuss matters of the heart and spirit and they're they're wonderful beautiful conversations i i love them but again that that you know sort of where we started this this idea is that you know how it adjusts everything else that is that is to come um it's never just uh it's never just a moment when we when we deal with people it always tends to be a, a much longer um discussion which is which is good and sacred and holy right don't get me wrong about that but if we haven't built it into our schedules then it <laughs> yes. jams everything up right then then it makes the rest of the day you know hectic or the next the, the rest of the week um you know playing catch up more than more than anything 
So let's talk about schedule and think about the specific things we do each week that um, I'm not sure there really is a typical day, but there's definitely a, a list of, of to do's tasks that have to happen every week and every month and every quarter and every year. Um, I mean, and, and so we organize our, our ministries by worship, education, service, care, Koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word for sacred fellowship, sacred community, and then governance. And then underneath all of those is all of this other kind of work to do. Um, worship, we can start there. Um, worship doesn't just happen. There's a lot of planning. And luckily, there are uh, we it's we have a lot of team members, both staff and, and parishioners, congregants who put together, who put so much of their their heart and uh, their energy into preparing worship from song to preparing the altar to um, to maintaining the building. Um, but one of those is every week, a kind of the constant, unless unless you have um, others to help you, you've got sermon every week. You have the worship. There's always that um, each weekend. For me, um, it depends upon the text, but sometimes sermons take as many as 10 to 15 hours a week for me. As I've done this for longer, it, it sometimes it's not that much. It's it's more like four to five hours. But it, it really depends upon the text. It depends upon um, if I preached about this before and I and I um, have a a core kind of outline that I can look at. What I found most recently is um, I don't like my previous sermons, or it's not applicable now. So I have to start from scratch. So that's one. I mean, I, that's you have that as well as is the preparing a sermon, preparing a homily. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I have I have a so for us setting up for for a service takes place uh, sort of weeks in advance because the at the heart of our service on, on Saturdays is the reading of the Torah. Um, and uh, there's, you know, depending on the week, um, I will read pieces of it or all of it um, but we try to get congregants involved in in reading those and so it takes the the average congregant a couple of weeks to prepare so i actually have a, an excel document um that's you know an open excel document that i actually have to update now for the next uh, the next quarter um where people can go onto that excel document and sign up for a torah reading that is you know, a month or two months down the road, so that they have time to to prepare and to to learn it, to be able to chant it in services. Our services leader, our, our service leaders, we we have the same uh, sort of leaders, and so you know they'll either sign up to lead a, a service on on Saturday. If I need, I can call anyone up in a in a pinch and sort of you know ask, are you going to be here this Shabbat? Uh, can you lead this service? Um, and they'll tell me yes or no, and and that will get uh, that will get resolved. So for us, preparing the service can take uh, a number of weeks, but it's all done well in advance. I mean, we're we're at the start of February now, and the you know I have those Torah readings and services are planned right now through the end of March. I have to update it with the next three months. Now in February, I'm I'm. A week behind, uh, so I know that's on my that to do list of things that have have gotten uh, pushed, and and sermons, yes, yeah, sermons are are you know normally a, a an hour or two, uh, you know over the course of 
of, of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I start thinking about and writing and I'll spend a, a little bit of time each day or if not at night um, at when, once I get home because of, of how it works, I know which section of, of the Torah that uh, that will be that will be reading and that I'll be speaking about in in the coming week. Um, although world events have changed that before, where you know I, I have a sermon planned out on Wednesday and on uh, you know Friday morning something happens and uh, you have to throw the sermon. I would not throw it out, put it aside for maybe use an, another time. Um, but uh, to revisit, but but certainly, you know, I've I've written sermons at the last moment because of of world events causing the the need to talk about about something. Um, you know, I try not to spend more than than uh, four hours writing writing a sermon because um, unless it's the high holidays, because I don't want to take up all my day doing just one one thing. I, I don't have the time for that really. Um, you know, thinking about it, preparing for it, though, yes, writing it is, I try to keep it a, a fairly short affair. So you mentioned planning. There's so much planning that we do as well. We plan for, for months out as well. Um, we have to plan now for the Lenten season, which is coming up in the Easter season, Ho Holy Week and Easter season. Um, another is, and we have three services each week. They're all quite different. Like the one for tonight is... Um, is more participatory, the, um, all the worshipers together, we, it's more conversational. Um, but one thing, I never wing anything. I'm prepared for everything that I do, and it takes preparation to, to do that. Um, the next thing is education. The education is really very important to me. I think parish education is one of the most, is right there with worship. as uh, Because if you don't know what, if you don't take the time to learn and think about what we're hearing and talking about, then what is, what is the worship? What really does the worship mean? So I teach four classes each week, plus prepare for the podcast. And some would say that's too much. You shouldn't do this faster. But that's where I get my energy. That's where, that's the joy in this. Um, the preparation for time for that. Uh, some of them, there's really very little preparation time. Other, there's considerable. Um, particularly a parables class. I'm learning with the class. Um, I was, my focus was, liturgics with worship and church history rather than uh, scripture so i'm learning with our with the class so um i do a lot of preparation for the parables class the catechism class you know that's what the, that's one of the most important things a pastor does is teaching our 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 confirmants our middle schoolers preparing them for confirmation coffee talk is a, a book discussion we have another book group that we do on top of that our podcast that we do that all of those um those offerings are are, are life-giving to me those are things that are are in, are a joy to do and um i also think they're just incredibly important for the congregation what about education in the synagogue important as well no. so we actually so for our for our youth for our religious school we actually have a religious school principal who really takes care of um uh, of the religious school, right, of, of setting the curriculum, um, of, of making sure that the teachers are there and set and ready. So that's been taken off of my plate. I do teach in the religious school. I teach um, our our eighth graders. We're actually uh, headed off to D.C. I teach a, a class on the Holocaust, um, you know, so that they get the uh, the Jewish perspective of the Holocaust and they get a different perspective than what they might get in school 
where school might focus on World War II more than the Holocaust. We really go deep into um, the, the Holocaust and let them study it from the Jewish perspective in a Jewish environment. Um, so we'll be going to Washington, D.C. to go to the Holocaust Museum in D.C. as well as, um, you know, experience our, our nation's capital. So I do teach in the religious school, but I'm in, you know, I'm not, um, the religious school principal is the one who plans it and, and takes care of all the, the finer details. Although I do watch over the, the curriculum to make sure everything's on track. Um, two of the places that are, you know, yes, we do all that adult ed and everything that, that you're talking about and, and the preparation for that. Um, I teach a, a weekly Talmud class on Thursday nights. Um, you know, of us reading through uh, different tractates of, of the Talmud, learning about what, what they teach us about the ancient culture and beliefs of, of the Jewish religion, as well as how we take the laws that are found in the Talmud and how we carry them through to today and how they impact our, our practice, as well as our understanding of the world, as well as um, the way we interact with the world. Um, because of those laws and that they might have changed, but, or evolved, I should say, they might have evolved, but they're still present in, in our lives um, and, and our religion. Uh, so, and, and then I hold special classes, um, you know, series throughout the year. Um, our rabbinic intern, uh, Rabbi Brodsky, uh, is in the middle of teaching a, a series of classes over Zoom because she's up in New York during most of the time. Uh, two places that, that we didn't mention uh, is one, as I said, I teach one class a week over at the, the day school. So it actually lets me teach outside the building. And I teach kids that go to other synagogues and they get exposed to, uh, a, you know, a conservative rabbi, a conservative point of view, which is a really beautiful aspect of, uh, of me being able to teach there, as well as the fact that the other rabbis in the community all teach there. And so the, the, the students and the children are exposed to all the streams of Judaism and all the different rabbis that we have in our community. Um, and then uh, lastly, um, one of my favorite classes of the week, uh, I teach on Wednesdays, I teach two different conversion classes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was teaching one and then we had this, this other group of about eight people um, who were looking for it. Um, and so I started a, a second class uh, and uh, so right now, uh, I teach two different classes uh, that are geared towards uh, the participants converting to Judaism uh, on on Wednesday. Um, and so Wednesdays actually tend to be very heavy in education for me because I'll teach at the day school, then I'll come back, go right into a conversion class, have evening services, and then go right into my next conversion class. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it is beautiful because we get to revisit all, like the, the basics of Judaism and people who are just coming to it get to ask these profound questions of, you know, I'm searching for a connection to God. How can Judaism help me do that? How do these rituals and these and these prayers help me do that? Um, and, and we get to explore it together. And, and I love the, the larger classes, right? I always try to create larger classes that it's, you know, one-on-one -on -one is important, but, um, you know, when you get, you know, eight people sitting around a table and everyone's talking about it from a different faith perspective, their background, what it means to them, it, it's a, it becomes a beautiful conversation um, about, about religion and faith in God. Um, and, uh, and I love it. So, you know, that's, and that's just, you know, 
scratching the surface because every moment for either one of us, I think, is yes. is a uh, a learning opportunity, right? Absolutely. Someone comes to with you to a, a simple question of, you know, can I do A, B, C, or D? And all of a sudden, you know, I think they're going to get a yes or no answer. I don't know. I I rarely give yes or no answers because there's just so much more to answer answers when you're talking religion than just yes or no. Just this morning, I had a pastoral care visit with somebody. They came to actually to see me in the office. We had this plan for a few weeks and didn't really know what it was about. But it turns out there were some, we had some conversation first. But then it turns out there were three things this person um, wanted to talk about. And this is, we would, I would call this a Holy Spirit moment where that where God has stepped in. This is, these were three initiatives, three efforts that I, that I've wanted to do for some time. And they brought those three and said, I want to do these. I said, this is amazing. This is amazing. That's, let's do it. If you will champion this, I will support it. I will even find some seed money for this. Um, this, those are the moments where I can hang in for another day. <laughs> this is, this is, this is what it's about. This is where the ministry comes. And those are important, just like these moments. And as you said, where God shows up when we're in class together, those, those, when, when the parishioners, you realize they are listening to what we're saying. They are paying attention to what we're trying to do here as, as a sacred organization. And this is sort of taking, this is meaning something to them. We're trying to find these ideas of, of meaning and renewal this year. We're trying to find meaning. What does all this mean to us and, and how does it renew us? <clears throat> the next thing is service. Um, we do a lot of out of um, uh, after we have our, um, our worship together, we are sent into the world to be the church. And that we live that out in different ways. One is um, through, we call it SWAN, sharing with a neighbor. It helps people with emergency rental and utilities to keep them out of homelessness. We have a red wagon pantry, which is emergency food. We have partnership with, um, uh, it's called Charleston Hope, <coughs> a local elementary school. We have Backpack Buddies, which is an emergency weekend food ministry for, uh, <coughs> excuse me, middle schoolers. We have um, uh, a longstanding ESL, English as a Second Language Ministry. We have um, Cradle Closet, which is emergency nursery needs. Um, we have uh, CAJUM, which is Charleston Area Justice Ministry. A team is working on that. We have Circle of Welcome, in which we welcome refugees into the country. Um, that's just a part of it as well. Um, but this is the kind of the so what of, of why we're here. But while others do that, there is still support that staff has to give these, this, all of these efforts to make sure they're continuing to happen. What about, I know service is important. We've talked a bit about that in the synagogue. Yeah, well. we, we've talked about that. And, and, you know, and I have my, my tikkun alam committee that, that takes care of it. I think where, where, um, where my role comes in and supporting that is, you know, I, I occasionally teach for them, you know, we had a, a, the Charleston Interfaith Council come uh, to Emmanuel the other day um, to learn about Judaism and, and get a tour of the synagogue and and you know I took care of I took care of that and and helped them and spoke with them about Judaism for about uh, an hour and a half. I think where when it comes to all these other things, 
we don't necessarily divide them up into different ministries as, as they're called in Christianity. It just sort of falls under the umbrella of, of our programming. Um, and uh, so one of the things that, that I've tried to do, um, which is again, is like the behind the scenes work, right? Of like, what are, what am I doing with, uh, with, with my time? Um, one of the things that we did last year was that for the first time at the high holidays, we put out a, a program guide, which, you know, we had gone through the entire year and tried to plan out as much of the programming as we could, right? So for every holiday, we had programs created. Uh, I went to all of our different auxiliary uh, groups, our men's club, our sisterhood, the tikkun olam, the youth, uh, you know, more and more, and and tried to get their calendars of what programs are they doing? When are they doing them? Uh, what are the descriptions of them? And put it all together into one big program book so that when people came to the high holidays, we had this book to say, here's what we're doing in the coming year. Um, and uh, it's been a great marketing material as well, because whenever someone comes in and asks, you know, what's happening at the synagogue, I can sort of just hand them this program book. We occasionally update it as, as things change because you know, we started planning back in uh, June of 2023 for, you know, April of 2024. And so obviously things change, um, whether it's a program or, or the timing of it just has to has to be adjusted a little bit. Um, but so, so it's a current document. Um, but there's that. So all, it, it helped me um, in the sense that I was a year ahead of my programming now. Right, I already know what's what's happening. So you know, we know we're having our uh, annual fundraiser barbecue on March 10th. So my my administrative director and I can plan the barbecue or what needs to happen in order to plan this this barbecue. Right, we can get in contact with the heads of the various committees, the people who help run the barbecue, who help run the silent auction that we do as a fundraiser. Uh, you know, the people who, who prepare the meat, right? Who, who cook the brisket or smoke the brisket, I should say, or the chicken or the, the vegetarian stuff, all of it. I'm obviously giving an ad for the barbecue here. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but we're able to sort of be weeks ahead in planning of it because we know it's already happening. And at the same time, we're already planning next year's uh, events. Right. So we're writing down as we have these ideas, we write down what do we want the themes of next year to be? What programs do we want to run? Um, and we can be way ahead of the programming so that we are not thinking of it at the last minute. Right. So like like you said earlier. Right. So we're not winging it like, oh, my goodness, there's a holiday coming up in three weeks. What are we doing for it? We already thought about it a year ago. Of yes. What are we doing for this? And now we just need to bring it into reality and and make it happen. Um, and so there's, you know, a, a little bit of time of, of my day is spent with that, right, of, of still looking forward on the calendar, looking forward three, four weeks of what's happening and what do we need to do to prepare for it, as well as looking a year ahead and saying, okay, this is what we're doing for, you know, the next big holidays Purim right? The, the story of Esther. This is what we're doing for Purim this year. What are we doing for Purim next year also? And getting a jump on it and making sure it's written down so that over the summer, when I go to put the next program booklet together, 
um, we already have all that in, information. We, uh, I mean, you're raising all these other issues that we now have even beyond kind of the basic, the next basic I was going to mention was care. I mean, our pastoral care, our clergy, our rabbinical care, um, we have all other care ministries, like uh, we call it Stephen ministry, where it's one-on-one. -on -one. It helps the care receiver, the other parishioners, but I think even more so the purpose of Stephen ministry is to help, it is to have those trained in the congregation of Stephen ministers to deepen their faith as well as they go out and minister to others. We have uh, prepared meals for each other, for homebound folks, for people who are coming into the hospital, um, pastoral care, you know, at the other congregation I served before, it was a smaller congregation. I could drop in and I did very regularly drop in on parishioners and just visit with them and see how they were doing. That's a that's just not a real reality at, at St. Matthew's um, because first the needs are so many. There are more people who are here who need um, visits. So the visits often happen when people are in crisis or recovering after surgery uh, I rely uh, on phone calls and texts and emails and, um, and again, other folks who can help in the congregation who can help make these uh, visits happen. It's, that's one of the most important things that we do, and it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, phone calls and, and visits to the, to the hospital, um, certainly you know, trying to, to schedule in enough time. And it depends, you know, which hospital we're going to, right? Am I going downtown to uh, to to MUSC or Roper downtown? Or am I going out to the Roper, the St. Francis that's, you know, out by the, the Lowe's uh, out on this side of the bridge, right? Is There's only been one time when I mistakenly uh, forgot to ask which St. Which Roper it was and ended up with the wrong Roper. And then had to explain why I was so late to uh, to the pastoral visit because I had gone to the wrong one. It was when we first got here. I haven't made that mistake since. Um, but yeah, I I rely more on uh, like you said on on phone calls and visits. I I really prefer like the the hospital when it's when it's more pressing that I can go in and, and say a, a prayer. Um, I like getting together with people for, for coffee, um, you know, not in the, uh, it sort of takes us out of the environment of the synagogue as well as out of their home. Um, you know, unless they aren't able to, uh, to get home to, to get out of their home. Um, you know, I, I like sort of the, the neutral space of we get to go out and, and do something together. Um, that, that doesn't feel overly synagogue and doesn't feel, feel overly, um, homebound. Um, but more than anything, I, I like you said, I, I rely on on phone calls um, when I know that someone isn't doing well. I will say I I'm not a big fan of texts. I, it's sort of my my uh, my last go to. A lot of times people will text me to let me know something happens and I'll and I'll respond with that phone call. Um, you know, as as you know, I'm sure that just so much gets lost over over text. Oh, um, oh absolutely. It's the, definitely and it's it's definitely imperfect, and so it's sort of the you know if they're not answering the phone, then I'll go then I'll go to text as the last thing, but I'll try not to uh, rely on that as as much as I do uh, the the phone calls. Yes, um, Koinonia is another. That's uh, you know that's our sacred community, our time together, and we really are a social congregation. But these events 
take a lot of time to plan and to attend. I try to attend as many of these uh, events as I can. And that's what it means to be you know, together in this community. And just uh, as you've shared with us for so many times, how important real time is and uh, these um, time together as a congregation is very important. Very important. It is, you know, I mean, that comes into our programming. Most time it happens for us on, on Shabbat morning. Um, after services because we do a full lunch after after Shabbat mornings on just about every weekend um, and so the the time together really comes in there things like the barbecue are also a great time for our congregation to come together um, and if anyone from the St. Matthew's congregation wants to come to that as well they can you know sign up as sponsors and, and buy their tickets on our on our website have I been pushing that this whole episode hey look at that it's delicious I've had I had a last year it's delicious brisket very good <laughs> So we our oyster roast. I'm not sure your folks would be interested in our oyster roast, but uh, I'll have their oysters. I love oysters. That's coming <laughs> up soon, and that's um, that's an annual event. And but these things are important. They uh, they bind us together. Then the other thing is governance. This is the big thing that we that we really it, I think we could probably agree takes so much of the time, and it's the behind the scenes. It's like stewardship, raising the money to meet the bills. It's the property. It's the fact that, you know, I never, the past few weeks have been dealing with seismologists. Who would have thought that I would be dealing with seismologists? And we and were just talking about that also with, with, with someone about, uh, about a seal, about our drop ceiling as to whether it's seismic rated or not. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. That and, 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 and security and police. I, I've been, since I've been at St. Matthew's, I've talked to the FBI three times because of threats the congregation I don't even think probably knows about. Um, we've talked, you know, I, um, the police, the um, we have a rodent problem now that the congregation really doesn't know about. In fact, you know, all of all of these issues that come up, this dilapidated, collapsing building that we have, and how we maintain this, and um, our new uh, beautiful nave, our re renovated nave that's ten years old, and how to how to care for it. Um, parking is all, we have no parking at St. Matthew's and um, we have to rely on city parking and garages and um, and um, security issues and fire alarms and lightning strikes that that uh, that knock every, to our steeple that <clears throat> knock out our infrastructure. And the other thing is staffing and, you know, leading a staff and taking care of their needs and advocating for them and um, staff reviews and volunteer management uh, and planning, you know, the planning, the long-term planning and the short-term planning and the communication efforts, whether it's our newsletter, which is weekly. I probably spend five hours a week on, um, on printed and writ uh, written and printed materials and proofreading, um, proofreading. And, Proofreading and writing and and communicating to the congregation and all this is uh, we just celebrated um, our little team putting together publishing our annual report which is a, an undertaking every year but it's important because it's accountability for what we do and looking ahead to what we're going to do this next year um, it's um it's definitely not a boring job but it is um it never ends either it never no. ends it's, it's an exhaust 
And I think it's important that that Congregan sort of recognize that it's not just that, that when you're clergy, because everything you're talking about, Pastor, right? Someone will say, well, what's the spiritual side of it, right? And the answer is that there may not be, right? Like, where is the spiritual side? We don't, often don't get to that part. Yeah. Right. We get to it last, right? Like, like for ourselves, we get to it. We make sure it's there for everyone else and we get to it. We get to it last. But the importance, the, the critical nature that you as pastor and me as rabbi know of all those things, right? That yes, we're, we're you know, we may not be the one to call the, the exterminator, but we know what's going on with the, with the mice in the building, right? Or, or we know about sort of every facet of what's going on in the building and with every organization and that we have, you know, a finger sort of in, in every different pot of, of the, of the church and the synagogue, because if we didn't, right, if we just sat in our offices and wrote our sermons, we would be terrible at everything other than writing a sermon. We wouldn't be able to do all the pastoral care, all the good work, all the, the tikkun olam in, in Hebrew, right, the, the helping to repair the world. We wouldn't know our congregate our congregation. We wouldn't, and then we would be able to advertise for it because someone would be, well, what does your congregation do? And I'd be sitting there, you know, I actually have no idea. I've been writing a sermon all week. And uh, and the idea that that we are those CEOs, right? And that maybe we do get pulled into a meeting of you know with seismologists and things that you know never ever did they teach us in you know in in seminary or rabbinical school. Because, you know, why would they teach us about flood maps and seismology and how it impacts our our uh, our worship services? But like here, we need to know about it. And in different parts of the country, you need to know about different things that that impact, you know, snow removal. Right. When I was in Virginia, we needed to know about snow removal because that impacted us there. Um, And and the rabbi and the pastor need to be involved in every area of the of the congregation and know what's going on in every area of the congregation in order to best minister to the congregation the moment those pieces are are taken away it sort of all falls apart and it can't just be that you know the the lay leadership or the governance arm is you know doing one thing and the spiritual arm is doing another and you know, neither one knows what the other is doing. It needs to work together and and in in harmony, knowing what's happening in order for the congregation to thrive. Because so often we're not called just to be there to participate, but to lead in these situations. And that's, you know, that's that's another facet. Um, the other part, the, the long days, this past um, Monday, I was thinking about this past Monday, um, I, after the day at work, um, and then I had um, uh, writing and planning in the afternoon. Um, then I had a meeting at six, two meetings at seven that were simultaneous. I had to finish one and go to the other, leave one early, go to the other. And then I had one at eight. So I didn't finish that day until Oof. nine o'clock with, officially with meetings. But then I had things to do when I got, got home. Um, yesterday, last night, I had a meeting, but I didn't, I couldn't make it. I just, so sometimes I just can't do it. Today, um, pastoral care this morning, uh, production meeting for our newsletter. We had um, a appreciation lunch, our podcast. After, I've got to cook for dinner for our 
congregational dinner tonight because I think it's important for me to, if I'm asking people to do it, I've got to participate myself sometimes. Um, we have to get ready for this dinner. We have worship tonight. Um, we have, um, a, I have catechism to teach. Uh, then we have a forum about a property issue. And then what else? I have to be with our youth after that for a few minutes because we're planning, they are speakers for our Lenten season. Um, so that will go until at least nine o'clock again tonight. So, you know, and again, this is a week I haven't even yet gotten to sermon. So often my sermon, and this was something I always, you know, hated to do is wait until the end of the week. But often I don't even get to, to begin my sermon until Friday. No. Uh, that, and that's the day off. So, you know, we're talking right. about it, it tends to be it tends to be for me too. My day off yeah. is Monday. So that's when I try not to schedule uh yeah. th those events yeah and and you know like i said i i normally i'd be going back to back on on wednesdays um as as well and it is it's routinely 12 13 hour days um you know i i'll try to get home to to uh, you know put my kids to bed to help put my kids to bed but there's many weeks um when that doesn't happen earlier this week monday night um i was at a i was at a I was at the board meeting for the for the day school as as a rabbi. I sit on the board, a non-voting member of of the board. Um, my wife works at the day school, and she had to be invited to the board meeting as well. So we were actually both at that board meeting and uh, and had a babysitter. And then tonight, um, again, we're both out. She's doing a uh, an event with our sisterhood called Fill the Freezer, where they where they make uh, you know kugels and and other foods that that help fill freezers, and then obviously freeze it um but she's doing that tonight during one of my conversion classes so again we're both out tonight doing stuff for for the the synagogue tomorrow night i won't be home either because i have my my talmud class um starting at 6 30 until about 7 45 um and then again by the time all that is done right i then have to end my day the way i began it which is with emails because uh, you know all those things during those meetings i'm obviously not paying attention to the phone and the emails and i don't want to have double it when i start the next day you got to take care of it so you know and and again keeping keeping uh keeping count here right uh i'm, I'm up to nine emails since we've been recording two phone calls uh and nikki haley has texted me twice to tell me <laughs> Uh, that there's a, a primary coming up in uh, in South Carolina. I don't know if you get those texts, but I, you know, I've never been, you know, so texted by Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who just keep texting me with, uh, you know, reminding me to vote uh, on the 24th. Let me count. You may have got me. Be I'm gonna look at mine here. Just as we talked, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I only have eight, but then I have. Let's see what else. Um, texts. I have one two three four five six that i have not looked at yet today so <laughs> right uh, so so there are and, you know i, I get you and, there right and 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 then and we've been talking right like and and then i want to also before we go because we you know we're nearing the end but but then also like let's humanize ourselves for a moment right so i got called for jury duty right <laughs> in <laughs> Right. So thankfully, I have I have about a month. It's March 19th. I've been called in. Right. But obviously, I have to go fulfill my civic duty. But I had to cancel everything, you know, for, you know, I already blocked out that day of like, you know, leave me alone. We happen to have a board meeting that night and I'm trying to figure out will I make it back for the for the board meeting or not. Um, 
you know, but like there's that. And then there, there is, there's being home for my kids, uh, you know, to put them to bed, to have dinner with them, to help with homework, you know, when there's a school play or a field trip, you know, is there a way that I can, can be there for them? Um, and get the other stuff that needs to be done um, of finding time to be able to do that because it's not, it, it is a 24 hour job that you and I yeah. have. But it is. We also, we also have other jobs that we need to be there for and can't really be here 24 hours. And the, and the terrible part of that, I will add to this, Rabbi, I hope you're not this case, but it is certainly the case with me. The people who pay the bill for me are is my family because at the end of the day, I don't have anything left to give them. And I'm very, I'm, I'm very limited in what I can give emotionally. I, I'm spent. And the, the part that, you know, if I thought about it enough would really probably would disappoint me or anger me is besides the part about the family is the fact that what we do at, at synagogue and church is never going to be enough. That's the other part. It's never going to be enough to sort of move things. It's never going to be enough for some of the, the, um, the cave people, the people, the citizens against virtually everything, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 so you have to find the hopeful parts, the lend lend on the help. There's something that keeps us coming back to this. First, somebody has got to do it. The second is, I would say there's this call. I'm motivated by duty more than anything else, a duty to do this. I think others by other, um, you know, by other things, but, um, something brings us back to continue on this because it's important work. And I, I, and, and those things, those flashes of moments, like I told you about this morning when the, the parishioner came in to talk and we, and that I just, after I gave her a hug at the end, I said, you made my day. And she has no idea what, how, how helpful that was. Another, I'm You hear Charles barking. Charles is my little dog. Yeah, Charles is therapy too. Um, you know, it's those moments that that people, the notes that people say, and, and I know that many are so appreciative because it is, it does mean something in their lives. What we're doing does mean something. And I hold on to that. Absolutely. And, and you know, and for all the chaos and, and unpredictability of it, right? And and I think more than anything, that's where I where I pay with my family is my wife knows that my schedule is unpredictable and it can, it can frustrate us that I sort of almost refuse to make plans, you know, a week in advance, because I know that if I make plans uh, a week in advance, right. like, I know something's going to happen, whether it's a life cycle event or, or whatever, I'm always reticent to do it because I, I never trust my own schedule to allow me to, to have that, that time. Um, and, you know, that's so that's sort of where I feel with the unpredictability of my schedule. And will I be there or or won't I be able to be there, um, which which, you know, can be, you know, sad and frustrating for for my family um, because there's expectations. And then I have to uh, not live up to them um, because I'm doing other work to support and help other people which is also sacred and holy and important. And I'm obviously willing to give it up because I do love what I do. And, and more than anything, you know, for as much, for, for all the chaos that our schedules and our, and our days can bring, whether it is the, you know, dealing with, with congregants um, for the good, for the challenging, whether it is, you know, 
lightning struck the building and we've got no power, whether it's, you know, finding a grant to write um, because I, I want to do a specific program or, or whatever it is, um, it's the reason I chose the pulpit, right? I've talked about my history that I wanted to do education and be like the head of a school and a mentor showed me how wonderful the pulpit could be and how diverse the pulpit could be. And I'm here because I choose to be here, right? In, yeah. in the pulpit, there, there's other paths my rabbinate could take, but I do love the the breadth of what we are able to do in a single day, in a single week, um, and, and to step into all those different roles. And, you know, those also tend to be like my best days, right? Where I come home and I stop and I look back and I'm like, wow, today I did a you know, I did an unveiling, right? When we unveiled the, the headstone, right? I did an unveiling. I taught children in religious school. I, you know, had a pastoral conversation with someone in the hospital. I talked to a to a to a to a parent about planning their kids' b'nai mitzvah, you know. And I happened to chat with a with a friend for five minutes about about you know whatever the football game, uh, you know. Like just when you sit back and you look and like, wow, I accomplished a tremendous thing across the board in so many different areas like i love those days right the more than anything um you know then then you know yes good i gave a great sermon fine good that is important but like the breath of what we get to do is just wonderful amen i couldn't agree more that's the hopeful thing i i would just end by saying i don't think i chose this job this job chose me because i think if, if i in my right mind, I never would have done this. If I, if I knew what was in, I would never would have chosen. So in all seriousness, but but like you said, it is that it is it, it is those days when you realize the, the privilege of the job that that is um, energizing and keeps me going as well. Good, good topic. I think I hope our listeners understand. And this is just a glimpse of of the of uh, what's behind the curtain. Um, but there's there's uh, it's um. It's an unending job for sure. It is. It is. And, uh, and we will both continue to do it uh, with with good, with strength, and in a, in a sacred way. Uh, for now, though, we say, Tov shachen karov me'ach rachok. A neighbor nearby is better than a friend far away. See you around the neighborhood. See you around the neighborhood. Next week on The Clergy Next Door. This is actually something that we've been planning for a number of weeks. And so we're really excited for the conversation next week. Back uh, in December, I was on the Joint Air Force Base, uh, Joint Charleston Base, and I met Father Zach Nash, who's one of the chaplains uh, over at the base, and was talking to him about this podcast because the pastor and I had wanted to do an episode about faith and service right? That is serving one's country, military service. And so we are excited that uh, Father Nash was able to get all the different clearances that he needed to be able to get as a military representative to come speak with us. And so next week, we will be talking about faith and service and what it is like to be uh, religious in the military. I, that's, um, I have some interest in this. When I first started, that was actually my interest, it was um, military chaplaincy. So I'm very eager to hear what he has to say. Uh, 